Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a multifamily expert. He is also a fellow podcast host of his podcast, this Mailbox Money Show. He is a passive income creator, a keynote speaker, a accomplished gentleman with an incredibly cool name, by the way. Very cool name. I mean, this gets him ahead just on his name. He is Bronson Hill. Bronson, welcome to Street Smart Success. Hey, Roger. Thanks for that intro. Really excited to be here. I love talking all things real estate and you know being street smart and how do you you know grow your wealth in this environment you and me both and you know look we have a couple things in common not the least of which is our we share a hairline you know together yeah. well, they say god made only so many perfect heads and he covered the rest with hair so that's what we say to feel good about ourselves right <laughs> that's what we do we have a listen man get it go i've been bald so long but it in the late 90s man it got to be like it got to be the look right so I'm like, oh, my, my time had come. And, you know, in my mind, it still is the look. Anyhow, so Bronson, you and I covered this ground before we hit record. But for the listener's sake, get, give me your background. Where are you from? I know you're down there in Pasadena. How did you wind up there, et cetera, et cetera? The Bronson story. Yeah, so I'll give the short version. So I grew up in Seattle, moved down in college to Southern California, ended up starting to work in medical device sales. And I was did that for 10 years. It was well paid to go into surgery and help physicians with some of their equipment. But what I realized is that I was working hard. I was making good money, making over 200,000 a year, but I didn't really have control over my time. And I wanted to have more freedom to be able to travel, to be able to create. I like to write music. I like to create, you know, I'm writing a book right now. I just like to create stuff and create things and have flexibility. And so I thought that I would do that through single family investing. And so I got to where I had a small single family portfolio and I realized it was just a lot of work, even with the property manager managing these houses out of state, I was getting these calls saying, what do we do about these tenants? What do we do about these problems with the property? And I just wanted, didn't want to deal with it. And so then I discovered someone who was doing multifamily investing and said, why don't you consider raising money for multifamily deals? Because I didn't have the money. And so I learned about something called real estate syndication, which is just a fancy word for raising money and being able to pull it together to buy a big asset such as a large apartment building. So fast forward four years now, I've raised about $30 million. We've helped a lot of passive investors to achieve truly passive income, really the mailbox money, as you mentioned, the mailbox money show is my podcast, but basically just how do you get income that grows and can scale without taking up more of your time. So that's my passion. It's what I focus on. That's what I help people with. It's what I love talking about. All right, Bronson. And I could feel the passion coming through this conversation. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to wind this thing back and ask a couple questions. You went down to SoCal to go to college. What college? So I came down during college. Actually, I went to Washington State University, but I did it through a distance learning. I came down initially. There's a little more to the story. I had been a youth pastor in college and I moved down for an internship to work with our church's kind of denomination to help do some international service projects. That's kind of why I first came to LA, but I ended up staying. Dude, that is fascinating. What denomination? It's called Foursquare. So Foursquare is a, like a charismatic denomination, kind of similar to Assemblies of God. Okay. 
I find that to be, frankly, more interesting than the real estate. And that's saying yeah. something because I'm as interested in the real estate as you are. So that's super cool. You're writing a book. Is this a real estate book or is this a book on something? This is a book. I, it's basically about passive investing and really getting people, someone who's basically invested in traditional assets, which are stocks and bonds. And I've had over 1,300 one-on-one phone calls with millionaires over the last four years. So I basically have a lot of information about how that process goes where someone doesn't know anything about investing passively in real estate and how does that actually work and what is actually truly a passive investment? Because my opinion is if you buy single family houses and rent them out or you do other types of investing, many of those methods are really not passive. And so how do you get to a place where you can scale up to go you know, 10X? If you can't 10X your current, your current investing strategy, they're not really doing passive investing. So a lot of people think they're doing passive investing, but they're really not. So just how does that process work and getting to where, okay, I feel comfortable with how this actually works to be able to become a passive investor and invest outside of Wall Street with a fair amount of my wealth. Yeah, they think they're passive investing until they get the call from the property manager saying that the tenant <laughs> has completely trashed the place. And Yeah, I've got take, a couple of those calls. <laughs> yeah, as have I. You know what? Here's a question. You've spoken to 1,300 millionaires. What has been the most gratifying part of that? What's been the common thread? You know, I think for me, it's been an opportunity just to ask people that are more successful than I am. Because a lot of these calls I had, you know, I was not a millionaire at the time. And so just really learning, okay, what are these people doing? And there's a few kind of common traits that really came out of that for me is that these are people, you know, the average net worth was 2 million. Some of these people had a net worth of 10 or 20 million or more. And, you know, really it was surprising to me that these people that were very wealthy and very busy, sometimes they had a business or they were a professional, they were taking 30 minutes to have a call to learn about our investments. So that's, I think one theme is that a lot of people that are very wealthy are always looking for growth. They're looking to learn. They're looking to say, how do I grow my wealth? How do I grow my experience? How do I learn more? And there's a quote by Brian Tracy that says, if you want to earn more, you have to learn more. And even Robert Kiyosaki has this quote where he talks about the difference between the rich and the poor is really the vocabulary that they use. And so how do you start using a different vocabulary, understanding a different vocabulary? You have to be somebody who's a learner, right? And you learn about the industry of real estate or investing and just some of the terms. And as you learn those things, it really changes the way you invest. So it's been very rewarding to kind of see people make that transition and go from, okay, I'm kind of dipping my toe in not really sure about this multifamily or passive investing thing. And then as they invest, they start seeing cash flow. And then they go from being kind of cautious and not sure to they're shifting a lot more of their wealth over because they see the returns are better, the volatility is less, and you know they're just you know doing much better outside of Wall Street and some of the fees that Wall Street charges. I see. Tell me a little bit about your single family portfolio that you had. Yeah. So I had kind of how I became a Landlord is I, when I was 26 years old, I bought a house. I was actually a youth pastor in Montana, moved out there for a job. And then a couple of years later, the job kind of wrapped up. And so I still had this house and considered, should I keep it or should I sell it? Decided to keep it. And it had appreciated some over time over the next five, 10 years, developed some cash flow from it. And then I got a relative to basically partner with me on, to buy some more houses years later in the Cleveland market, which you know is a great cash flow market. The challenge with Cleveland is sometimes the tenant base is not great to your stuff. And some of the houses are very old. And so there was just a lot of maintenance and challenge to, to really develop cash flow. So I thought, hey, this is going to be something that I'll get to you know, 20, 30 houses. I'll retire with you know, passive income. And it just really didn't work out that way, right? It just ended up being a lot more work. Things didn't actually work out the way they penciled on the back of a napkin. And so that was a real challenge. So I think I had a, you know, there's a saying, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so I had a relative that I hadn't seen in years 
I mean, and they, I knew they were a real estate person, but I shared my plan of getting 30 houses in Cleveland. And they said, it sounds like a lot of work. Why don't you look at doing multifamily? And that's kind of really what led me down the road of understanding and learning and just, you know, pursuing and doing everything I could to learn about it. And it just, it opened up a lot of doors for me. I was actually able to leave my great corporate job about a year and a half ago, having replaced my living expenses with more passive investment income. Congratulations to you, Bronson. Well, listen, I'm from Cleveland. I wouldn't want to even live in a house in Cleveland, <laughs> much, much less own 30 of them. So it's too bad we didn't. Well, you can say that you're from Cleveland. So if you say that, then we have to say, okay, well, there's from the, the horse's mouth there. So, <laughs> <laughs> And there's some beautiful homes back there. I still wouldn't want to live in one. Anyway, you know, you and I have seen some of the same bad movies because I, I bought a lot of houses in Buffalo, New York a long time ago. But like I tried to I'm going to try to hew to my promise I made to you before we start recording and not talk too much about myself. But let me just say, I know what you went through in Cleveland. And then you use the term we in terms of like the money that you have raised, et cetera. What is the, what does the collective we mean in the context that you use it? Yeah. So we basically is, you know, obviously are from our investors. That's the investors we work with. You know, I have operating partners that typically work more in a specific market and I'm a general partner on a lot of these deals that we We've done or all these deals, these real estate deals we've done. So for example, we work a lot in Jacksonville. We've done four deals in Jacksonville. I've got a couple of partners. One has 28 years of experience and 13,000 units. As my partner, Mark, is that. And Ricardo, also, he actually lives in Florida and is really boots on the ground, making sure that things operate the same way. And I made a, a joke, I think, before we started that, you know, both you and I live in California. You said, oh, you bet your house is appreciated a lot. I said, well, I don't own a house in California. All of my real estate, the 200 million is all outside of California because I just don't like owning in California is very difficult to be a landlord. It's very difficult to, there's a lot of challenges with owning even a single family house. I just haven't found it to be a good investment versus what I can get in other markets. So I think, you know, when it comes to the team and it comes to we, it's really, you know, people that have similar values that we've had some experience working together. And so this is, you know, money I've raised for these deals. And then the way I look at it too is, our investment partners really are partners. So it's money that you know, we have raised collectively together, even if somebody's just a passive investor, you know, that they're you know, as involved or more involved than I am just because of their hard-earned money is there. So we really look at them as equal partners in these deals. Okay, so let me ask you a direct question. You could, if you don't feel comfortable sure. answering, I respect that. And that is how many investors do you have? Yeah, so I would say it's probably about 150. So we've got, you know, probably... About 100 have invested in our multifamily deals, many repeat investors. And then we've got an ATM machine fund, which is automatic teller machines like cash machines, people using the 2 $3 fee. We've raised about $7 million for that in the last 12 months. That's been the most predictable cash flow investment that I've seen. So we've got kind of a mix of both of those. We're also looking at some deals in the alternative energy space, such as oil and gas and solar. Okay, got it. You know, I appreciate the answer. Yeah. Okay, I get that. And so when you say that you're a GP in these deals, you know, what does that mean? And I know that there's there's rules around that and, you know, you know, SEC laws, et cetera, et cetera. So in it, it, what role do you fill in those partnerships? Yeah. So a general partner really is somebody who's part of the operations team of a deal. And so if somebody is a, simply a capital raiser or maybe they're a broker and they bring money to a deal, that's different than saying, 
I'm somebody who's actually a general partner of this deal, who's helping to operate the deal. So I, you know, as as far as a deal goes, there's many parts of a deal. There's the find the person who finds the deal, it kind of gets it under contract. There's the diligence process. There's underwriting. You know, it's just make sure you know does this deal actually make sense. There's going to the property, kind of kicking the tires, looking at competing properties. I do all of that. I'm not the one who finds the deal, but I'm part of the diligence team. We basically work with. I put my own capital into a deal. You know, and then also um, we raise money, which is you know capital raising. And then after a deal closes, there's investor relations, and I'm a part of that. And then there's the asset management. So I'm not the primary asset manager because I have colleagues that are much more experienced. That's really their specialty, but I'm involved in that as well. So there's a level of compliance that when I'm raising money. It's not just that, hey, I'm raising this amount of money and I'm getting paid this much for raising this amount of money. It's that I'm a part of this team and I have different tasks within the team. I'm investing my own money. I'm going to the property. I'm doing these different things. And the compensation for compliance has to be based on a variety of tasks and not just simply how much money are you raising, if that makes sense. It makes 100% sense. And you did a great job answering the question. How, how do you find the partners that you have and there's a second part, but let's just start with that. How do you find them? Yeah, it's hard to find good partners. I think, you know, the biggest thing I look at, you know, our investment partners that invest money or also our general partners that do kind of the operations side of our deals. Really, you know, I try to find, you know, what are our values, right? We have three core values. Really, one is being very conservative on the underwriting, which is an overused term, but just certain metrics we look at. We try to find somebody that communicates very clearly and transparently. Just as you can tell, you've asked me some pretty direct questions. I try to be very kind of friendly frank with people. And so that's kind of a value that we have when it comes to working with our operating partners as well as our investors. And then also those that really want to see long-term partnership. You know, we're not looking for just raising some millions for a certain deal or, you know, a hundred thousand from one investor one time. We're hoping for a long-term relationship. So those are common values that as we start talking to people, you think, you know, at least I would think everybody kind of similar has those similar values, but not everybody does. Not everybody's really looking to have a long-term relationship. They raise the money and they don't really communicate with investors or other things. And I've just realized as a passive investor as well, the experience is, is as important as the actual performance of the deal, right? So I want to make sure that I'm, you know, a part of, you know, with other operators that communicate well, that respond to emails that are timely and these kind of things. And so I think that, you know, over time, you kind of figure out really what your values are. And then as you start talking with people, the other partners, potentials that you know, you'll find people that match. And I also look for people that have a fair amount of experience. I like one person on the operating team that has at least 10 years of experience because there's really no substitute for experience. This is typically millions of dollars that we've raised. This is, you know, building, some of these buildings are over $60 million, some that we own. And so we just want to make sure that we're really having somebody that can see a problem even before it comes. And that only really happens through experience. So I think those are a few things that we really look for. So on the on the GP side, the operation side, those partners that you identify, how do you find them? Are you, have you been involved like in masterminds or conferences or how do you even find them? Yeah, it's really interesting. I go to a lot of conferences. I think in 2022, I probably went to about 15 to 18 out of town conferences during the year. So I go to a lot of events, right? And I'm always meeting people and it's a surprisingly small industry. So the more you start asking around and talking to people, you'll kind of learn, oh, these guys are kind of from this group or this is their reputation. And so, you know, usually, you know, if I haven't heard of somebody or I don't know them, I will never work with them. But, you know, now it's work that I found some partners that just through some network and 
through some common acquaintances and over time kind of developed a relationship. I actually also, once I'm kind of interested in working with somebody, I actually also do a background check on each partner who's on the operations side just to make sure I'm not missing the next Bernie Madoff or something like that, you know, where it's like I'm doing, and you know, it still could happen, but it's just, it's basically saying I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I'm just being diligent, you know, with my, for my investors and for our team. So, but yeah, you know, I think we're on the sixth deal with the current partners we've done four in Jacksonville and one in Atlanta is to be the fifth deal. And so, but you know, when you've had a good experience, you know, the first deal is always, you're not quite sure how it's going to go. You don't really know somebody as a general partner, even as an operator until you do a deal with them, right? You don't see how they respond when something doesn't go right. Cause in every deal, something, something inevitably will not go right. And you know, it's just, it's very telling to see really who someone is and really what's important to them and how they live out their values. I see. So you have, you said six deals with a partner, are you primarily working with one partner at this point or are there others? Yeah. So we have for our multifamily deals, there's one group we primarily work with. And then, you know, with the ATM fund, that's more of a fund of funds where we have the fifth largest operator of ATM machines in the country and we partner with them. So as we look at, you know, different deals, obviously, like I'm not the one who's out there, you know, filling ATMs with money. I'm not the one who's actually collecting rent at these properties. We have, there's teams of people doing this stuff, both as, you know, property managers or operations. And then we actually hired, since we have about 1500 units in Jacksonville, we actually have a full-time asset manager that we hired basically just to go around and make sure that all these units that they say they're renovating are actually being renovated. That's kind of really giving the, some accountability to the property management as well. I see. You know what? You've got a really good partnership that you feel comfortable and, you know, you can look somebody straight in the face and, you know, feel like you're, you don't have to worry that, you know, you're not, that, that you're not misplacing their money with somebody that you can't rely on. In terms of your investor pool, you said you'd spoken to 1300 millionaires. And so is your investor pool kind of that? Is it about millionaires or they're, you know, accredited guys that make, I don't know what you need to make, maybe 200 grand a year, I forget. And not millionaires, are they professionals, business owners, or basically all of the above? Yeah. So we work with accredited and unaccredited. It depends on the deal. If some of our deals are for accredited only, some are for both. You know, I think it just really depends on people's situation. Not everybody I've spoken with, obviously, is worth $20 million or $2 million. Some people are net worth of, you know, very low and some people are, but you know, really there's a point of where you, you know, you can't take someone's money if they don't have enough in reserve. So if somebody has a net worth of below $300,000, it's hard to, you, I can't really take 75 K from them for a certain deal, right? That's our minimum investment. So it makes sense that people, you know, would really only invest a certain percentage of their, their income. And, you know, obviously that's different for each person, but in general, you know, somebody shouldn't have a high amount of their net worth in any one specific deal. And also if they're not an accredited investor, it just, you know, it doesn't make as much sense to have as much money tied up because it can take, you know, it can be six months when cash flow starts. It can take a year and a half. So it's hard to say, or even longer. So it can, it's hard to say when that will actually happen. So money gets tied up in a deal and you can't just, it's not like a, like you go in and, you know, you're trading liquidity, which is the ability to buy and sell a stock or buy and sell an investment for, you know, a long-term investment you hope that will pay substantially more, right? So that one of the disadvantages of, multifamily syndication like our deals are the fact that they are somewhat illiquid, right? They're not actually, you just can't buy and sell today and tomorrow. It's like you're pretty much in for five years 
And, uh, you know, could we cash somebody out if we needed to? Probably, you know, we'd probably do it at a discount, but there would be a way potentially, but we just want to make sure we're setting people up for success and not, you know, putting somebody in a liquidity challenge where they can't figure out how they're going to pay their bills, you know? Sure. I get it. And how do investors find you? So investors in general, they find us or find our group, Bronson Equity. BronsonEquity.com is their website. I go on podcasts like this great show and I have a resource I wrote that's called How to Use Inflation to Your Advantage, which is 52 color pages. And so that's a free download at my website. So people find it through that. We also do our podcast. We have a monthly panel where we bring on three experts and basically moderate a panel either on multifamily, kind of what's happening in the current multifamily environment, or we talk about inflation or just different things related to investing. I see. What do you like most about what you do? I think what I like most about it is, well, there's a couple of things. One is that I feel like there's really, I feel really passionate about helping people to invest outside of Wall Street. I was actually an investment advisor for a few years where I was on, did that on the side. I wasn't that great at it, but I, I did it for a few years. And I think I had an experience like the Wizard of Oz where there's a scene where, you know, the guy or you see the wizard behind the curtain and he says, you know, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. So it's this big, you know, huge intimidating thing. And then you see just some little guy behind the curtain talking and it's creating this dramatic illusion. And I feel like Wall Street is kind of like that, where there's so many hidden fees. There's so many things that no matter what they're going to get paid, if your, you know, your account, your stocks go down by 50%, which to me, you know, they teach you that's a traditional investment. But the fact that stocks historically have gone down 30 to 50% times over the last hundred years, doesn't feel it safe. It's just that Wall Street advertises, they've done a great job marketing, they spend billions of dollars a year. And so I'm very passionate about helping people to invest outside of Wall Street and into Main Street into deals that frankly return way better and have you know much less volatility than some of these Wall Street opportunities. Yeah, indeed. The alternative investment space has really taken off in the past year because of everything that you're saying. What's the most challenging part of what you do? The most challenging part, I would say, you know, just from a structure standpoint, going from, you know, working a full-time job and having kind of, okay, this is what I'm going to do here. And I had some flexibility over my schedule, which I liked, but now it's like each day is kind of a clean slate. So what do I fill my time with? How do I prioritize? How much time do I work? When do I take time off? And so really managing myself as an entrepreneur, it's a challenge, but I think for me, it's it's a mix of you know scheduling time off. I just got back from Patagonia, which I did a hiking trip there for about eight days, which was amazing in Chile. And so you know I obviously enjoy that, but I think it's just challenging to continually look and say, okay, how can I make more of an impact? How can we reach more people? How can we find the right deals? And a lot of times, you know, wait, if I don't see a deal that really makes sense for me or for my investors, I'll just feel comfortable waiting. So I'm comfortable with that. But, you know, on one hand, it's just allowing it to unfold over time and uh, continuing to try to reach more people. You know, because Bronson, you speak so quickly, we're at the conclusion and that you are concise and you are spot on, you know, God bless, man, you're doing what you're doing and helping people out. How uh, you alluded to the guide, I think a book guide on your website, T tell listeners how to get a hold of you to find out more about what you do. Thanks, Roger. This has been great to be here. And yeah, I guess I do talk a little fast, but I, <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I talk from like I'm from New York, even though I'm from the West Coast. But yeah, no, I love connecting with investors or people that are trying to grow their wealth. Like I mentioned, our website, bronsonequity.com. We've got that resource, how to use inflation to your advantage so that you don't get to you just simply feel the pain of inflation at the pump or in the grocery store. You're actually on the other side of the equation that it actually can benefit you rather than hurt you. And so there's some methods and ways that we do that. And then also I'm on social media. I'm on a lot of the major social media platforms. People can follow and reach out there. And uh, we also have at our website, our investment club, if people are interested in hearing about our deals. Bronson, happy, uh, happy holidays, happy new year coming up. And I hope to do this with you next year. 
Awesome, Roger. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. I'll talk to you soon. 